G'day everyone, and welcome to My Union Road in ABA. This is a podcast to chronicle the progress towards a new enterprise bargaining agreement at Monash University and is brought to you by members of the Monash branch of the NTEU. We're here to take the old agreement and hashtag change it. And unlike our namesake, my dad wrote a porno, do everything we can to avoid being fucked in the process. Those involved with the podcast would like to acknowledge that it is being recorded on the unceded lands of the Kulin Nations, on whose lands we live, teach, and work. We would like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the traditional custodians and elders, past and present, and to the continuation of the cultural, spiritual, and educational practices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast and to our last episode of the year. Today we are going to have a chat to Ben Eltham, the president of the union, who is going to give us an update about where we stand with bargaining now that we've had the last meeting for the year, what is left to be thrashed out in bargaining next year, and what might be needed to get us over the line once it resumes in mid-January. He'll also give us a bit of an introduction to our new vice-chancellor, Sharon Pickering, for those amongst us who are unfamiliar with her. But before we get to it, we want to give a very quick wrap-up to the NTEU's end-of-year barbecue. After being forced to postpone it by a week due to terribly shithouse weather, we reconvened on December 6th for a lovely barbecue on the lemon-scented lawn. There was a good sun, some decent tunes, and a good feed with comrades from around the university. It was really good to see everybody uh, who came out on the day. Um, and, yeah, thank you to all of you who did. As always at the barbecue, the NTU presented the Sandra Cockfield Award for Activist of the Year. This year, there were joint winners. The first was Scott Robinson, who you may know from the podcast. Scott has worked tirelessly in the bargaining room, writing clauses and advocating for better working conditions for us all, while also being the casuals representative and an active member of the branch committee. Scott has been an amazing union member and is an incredibly deserving winner. Well done, Scott. Well done, Scotty. And our second winner, yes, well done. <laughs> Hope you're listening, Scott. Um, our second winner is none other than my podcast co-host, Tony Williams. Congratulations, Tony. Uh, so Tony not only does the lion's share of the work in getting this podcast out to you, but he's also a member of the branch committee and been a part of the committee that organises industrial action. In addition to all that, you can always count on Tony not only to be there in support of union events and actions, but to take an active role in whatever's going on. He's gone to Fair Work Commission's hearings, organised workplace meetings in his local area, advocated for casuals at the bargaining table and made speeches in industrial action events, as you, some of you might have heard. Amazing work, Tony. It couldn't have gone to anyone more deserving, both you and Scott. So congratulations to you both. Thanks, Kate. That's very nice of you to say and makes me thoroughly uncomfortable. <laughs> All right, so we have with us today... Ben, the president of the branch, welcome back, returning uh, friend of the pod, I guess, Ben Eltham. <laughs> it's good to be back. Um, we thought we'd get Ben on just as a, given that this is the last episode of the year, um, to sort of give people a sense for all the stuff that's happening and, and to sort of get, paint a picture for us of, of where we're at with bargaining now that those meetings have, have wrapped up for the year. Um, so I guess to start off, it's been a big year for the branch. Um, I'm sure most people listening have probably been aware of that and, and seen and been involved in a lot of that as well. Um, maybe what were some of the highlights or significant events that for the branch for you as, as the person who sort of sits atop it and sees everything that goes on? 
Yeah, thanks, Tony. Well, I mean, first thing to say is that I don't feel like I sit atop of, of anything. Um, I'm just a, a <laughs> comrade um, working to try and help other colleagues at work. Um, I don't really buy into that kind of hierarchy kind of stuff. Um, but look, it's been a massive year for the branch and I'm, you know, so proud to have been involved in some of the activities and the activism that we've been involved with this year. Obviously, I think, you know, the, the number one thing was the strike, the three-day strike that we held in October. It was a, a massive effort from everyone at the branch. There was hundreds of members involved. And to see the kind of solidarity um, and the camaraderie uh, that developed during that strike, I think, was so heartwarming to me. Um, we had members that I'd never met before um, that I got to meet, um, people painting banners out the front of the Chancellery building, you know, we had a teach-in um, at uh, Clayton Campus, which was fascinating. We had some really, really interesting sessions there. Um, we had comrades step up and get involved in organising things um, and really show kind of dedication and um, so much spirit. So, yeah, it was, it was just a really great uh, three days and, and one of the most sort of satisfying things I've, I've been involved with as a unionist, actually. Um, of course, you know, we, we don't do these things for fun. We do them to try and affect the university's management to try and get a better outcome for members. So it's been a long, hard slog in the bargaining room this year. Um, there's been a lot of to and fro and legal letters and arguing over I's and T's and, you know, this clause and the other clause. But I think, you know, looking back on the year, um, I think we've worked really hard to represent members' interests at this university and we've fought really hard for a better university. Um, so I'm, I'm really proud of everyone at the branch for all the work that we've done. Yeah, absolutely. So thinking about, you know, what's been happening in the bargaining room and that sort of stuff, we you guys recently just had your final um, bargaining meeting for the year. Can you tell us a bit more about how negotiations have gone um, this year and kind of the tenor of, the negotiations and the tenor of the room? I mean, just incredibly slowly. I mean, it's just been a, like a, a, a slow grind on everything, really. Um, Monash HR have a way that they like to do bargaining. They can't really be, um, you know, they're not, they won't be moved in the way that they do things. They, they want to take a very slow and deliberative approach you know, they'll give us a clause that they consider is how they think should things should be. They'll ask for a written response from us and then they will go through that written response literally word for word. I mean, a lot of what we do in bargaining is actually reading out texts of the enterprise agreement to each other in the meeting across the table. Um, it's very tedious. I mean, I'm not a details guy, <laughs> really not. Um, I'm more of a big picture kind of person. Um, so I find it pretty close to torture. Um, but, you know, of course, like these are the rights of members and their entitlements. So the wording is important because one day, you know, that, that wording could appear in a Fair Work Commission hearing. So, um, you know, we do have to take it really seriously and we do take it really seriously. You know, I think for a lot of the year, the university wasn't actually looking to try and get an agreement. You know, they were very happy to kick the can down the road, to spin negotiations out, to take a couple of weeks between meetings, every meeting. It's only after we had the three-day strike in October that we noticed a change in sentiment and they started to actually move a bit quicker. 
And there was actually seemingly finally a desire from the university's negotiators to actually get some agreements on some things. So we have been moving a little bit quicker towards the end of the year and that's been heartening. Yeah, that's great to hear. Like I was in some of the bargaining meetings earlier in the year and, you know, maybe this is sort of my academic background coming out, but I was so shocked about, you know, you put forward an argument and you go, here's what we think and here's why we think it's important. And then the response is, okay, we will think and we will get back to you. And I was, yeah, so surprised at how little discussion or sort of argument or back and forth there was in the room. So, yeah, I mean, you guys have done a great job this year. I mean, there's argument and back and forth, but it, but it's of a very technical and kind of limited kind of nature. So it, these are not kind of big picture discussions about the future of the university or the nature of the university's workforce or the way in which people teach and research at this university. You know, they're very limited, very technical, very kind of black letter discussions. And I think the other thing is, you know, the university will say, okay, we'll get back to you. And then maybe two months later, they'll come back to us and they'll say, we've had a think about it. And the answer is no, <laughs> we're not attracted to your position. Um, our, our position is a different position and we, we don't agree with you. You know, so it, probably in most cases, they could actually just say that to us on the day. Um, and I think that's one reason why these negotiations take so long. Yeah, and like my experience, similar to Kate's being in there when um, they did their big presentation about how they want to shift people into secure work and then asking me for my opinion and, and me being like, well, fixed term isn't secure work and all you're doing is you're claiming that it is, but it's not. And their response was just kind of like, thank you for your input. I'm like, okay, why am I here? You're, you obviously don't give a shit what we have to say. Yeah, I mean, that's right. I mean, their position all the way through has been that a fixed-term contract somehow equals security, even when it's quite clear that many of these fixed-term contracts aren't secure. Um, Many of them are very short-term, you know, and there's been a conflation of um, a fixed-term position that, yes, has some entitlements like some access to sick leave and so on and so forth um, with... You know, the bigger picture here, which is that many of these jobs are low quality jobs um, and they're not the kind of work that a university needs to be offering if it's going to look after its staff. And, and that's the very frustrating thing about these negotiations is you've got, you know, um, it, it, they're not good faith conversations in, in the kind of bigger picture sense of it. I mean, um, there's a legal definition of what a good faith bargain is and the university walks a pretty fine line on that in my opinion. But in the kind of bigger picture, you know, understanding of, you know, what what a, a humanities scholar might consider to be a good faith discussion where um, both sides are taking on, <clears throat> listening to what each other's got to say and actually trying to um, understand each other's positions so that we can reach uh, a constructive compromise. Uh, there hasn't been a lot of that. Well, it's good to know that hopefully the um, the tide is changing and, and the attitudes on the other side of the table are, um, are shifting to a more productive uh, attitude towards what's going on. Um, do you think that any of that has to do with maybe the um, recent appointment of Sharon Pickering as the new Vice-Chancellor? And I guess as an extension on that for people that aren't familiar with her, can you maybe give them a bit of a, an intro to, to who she is, um, given that you've got some history with her? 
Yeah, so we, we have a new Vice-Chancellor in January, uh, Professor Sharon Pickering. She's the former Dean of Arts at Monash University. She then rose through the ranks, Deputy Vice-Chancellor and then Provost. Um, so it's been a meteoric rise for her. Um, she's pretty young as Vice-Chancellors go. She's very energetic. Um, she's uh, someone who's pretty forthright. If you've ever met Sharon, like you won't be in too much uh yeah, you won't be, you know, wondering what she thinks. She's she'll definitely let you know where she stands on positions. Um, we think that um, she's going to be, you know, a, a breath of fresh air. She's she's just certainly going to be a dynamic new kind of voice. I think for the university, um, she's someone who's got um, a lot of history at Monash University. She's risen through the ranks here. Um, so she certainly knows the university well. Um, we've already met with her and that was a reasonably cordial and positive meeting. She was talking about how she feels that management and the union have uh, similar goals. She said, we want the same things, which is for staff to be happy. So I thought that was a, a positive remark. Um, she's certainly got big agenda and big ambitions for Monash University and that, not just in Australia, but globally. But she's also got very big challenges. So as I, you know, as we we've tried to articulate to the university over the the times, um, this university faces real challenges in the workplace. You know, there's a federal court case for wage theft next year. Um, there's um, the enterprise negotiations, which still have it uh, wrapped up. You know, there's a lot of staff who are very unhappy in their working conditions. Um, you know, there's a cost of living crisis. So, you know, it's one thing to have very rosy sentiments and to, um, you know, be talking a big game about uh, the future of the university, but she won't be able to achieve that if she doesn't have the support of her staff. So we're hoping for a more constructive relationship with the new Vice-Chancellor, Professor Pickering. Um, and we're, and we're, we've seen a few little straws in the wind that suggest that Perhaps there will be a more conciliatory approach from the university in 2024, and we welcome that if that's the case. That'd be great. I'm all for that. Yeah, it's great to hear that, yeah, that we we might be sort of moving along a little bit in bargaining and that the new VC, you know, realises the importance of moving along bargaining, supporting workers, you know, wanting workers to be happy. That's great. And yeah, perhaps on that note, thank you so much, Ben, for coming and giving us a little wrap up of the year. And um, thanks for all the work that you and the bargaining team are doing in that bargaining room. Um, it's it's tough work and it's much appreciated by all the members. So, you know, thanks very much. Oh, well, thanks, Tony and Kate. I mean, thanks for the podcast. It's been great. It's been good listening for me as I toddle down the V line on my way to work. <laughs> so very much enjoying it. I'm uh, looking forward to hearing some new episodes in the new year. Yeah, thanks very much. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Ben. To wrap up our last podcast of the year, we're handing the reins over to Adam, who interviewed Marjorie Gerard about her close friend and long-term Monash Union activist, Sandra Cockfield. I am Adam Fernandez, your National Councillor at the Monash branch of the NCEU. 
A warm welcome to all of you as we record a special episode acknowledging one of our comrades, Sandra Cockfield. For those of you relatively new to the Monash branch of the NTU, Sandra was our former vice president of academic staff and a representative at the bargaining table for more than 12 years. But she was a person far more than the titles she held with us. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Marjorie Girard, a colleague of Sandra Cockfield, to shed some light on the person that she was and the lessons we can learn from her character. Welcome, Dr. Marjorie. Could you tell us a bit more about yourself? Thank you, Adam. Um, I've worked at Monash for over 25 years now, and um, for a considerable chunk of that time, I worked closely with um, my friend and colleague, Sandra Cockfield, and also another friend and colleague, um, Donna Buttigieg. And we worked together on many trade union projects. Um, other than that, I teach industrial relations and employee relations at uh, Monash, both undergraduate and postgraduate. And they're subjects that are very similar to the subjects Sandra taught. I teach at Caulfield. Sandra taught at Peninsula and uh, Clayton. She also taught at Caulfield. And she also had a, a brief stint at Berwick as well. Wow. How did you first meet Sandra? Um, I first met Sandra before she actually started work. She, I was in Brisbane and Sandra lived in Brisbane. And she had just been hired by Professor Jerry Griffin, um, who was the head of department at Monash. And he offered the job to Sandra. Sandra accepted it and she, Jerry gave her my contact details. So she phoned me expecting me to be in Melbourne, but I was actually in Brisbane. So we met in person uh, late in June in, tw in 1999, I think. It was wow. Really. And we got on very well. And the friend I was actually staying with thought that we'd known each other for years. Well, there you go. So how did Sandra get first involved with the NTU? Uh, Sandra was a casual academic while doing her PhD and then subsequently after she completed her PhD and was uh, beginning to publish and she um, had the interesting experience of having as her chief examiner uh, our former Vice-Chancellor, Professor Margaret Gardner. And Margaret and Sandra ran a big first-year unit, the equivalent to um, Introduction to Management. And Margaret was very keen to encourage her casual staff members, if they wished to pursue an academic career, uh, to have a chance at lecturing. And so she gave Sandra her first chance at lecturing. The only problem was it wasn't in industrial relations. <laughs> So that obviously was a while ago. Now, as a union member, how did Sandra help strengthen the NTU's presence at Monash even? Sandra was uh, somebody who, with her passion for uh, trade unions, the NTU in particular, was able to reach out to other staff members, both professional and um, academic staff members. And she, in her department and in our faculty, um, business and economics and management as the department, uh, she was able to get a significant number of members at the various, particularly during enterprise bargaining, at the various rounds of bargaining. And at one stage, the Department of Management had an incredibly high 
union density um, across professional staff and also across um, academic staff. And because Sandra worked on all the different campuses, she had opportunities to reach out to people um, on those campuses, particularly the smaller campuses where staff uh, within different disciplines actually got to know each other. And so you'd meet people from across um, other departments and faculties. So Sandra made the most of that opportunity to get to know people and to explain what the NTEU did. That's incredible. Used to do. So, and what was she like as an academic? Uh, Sandra was a very good academic. Um, she loved delivering seminars and workshops and anything interactive where she could get to know the students as individuals. And yep. she really enjoyed that part um, of teaching. She was less keen on delivering lectures, particularly in subjects like Introduction to Management, which she had to teach down at the Peninsula campus. And that was one of the first subjects she taught when she was at Griffith University. And Sandra was a great one for being prepared. And those of you who worked with her um, in the Monash branch of the NTU would know how well prepared she was for bargaining meetings, um, anything like that, any union campaigns. Uh, Sandra prepared um, incredibly well and she did that with her lecturing also. That certainly seems to be in line with my memories of um, Sandra. I was fortunate enough to know Sandra as the branch secretary at the time while she was bargaining and Sandra was part of the bargaining team and they always spent a day in advance of bargaining, preparing their notes and preparing their arguments. So um, her over-preparedness definitely came through in the, in the NTU. Um, how did Sandra leverage her expertise in industrial relations when, in her work with the NTU branch? Well, given that um, Sandra uh, researched with trade unions, and I just like to to point out the choice of the word with. Um, a lot of my academic colleagues do research on trade unions. And I once had a union secretary here in Victoria tell me that um, they weren't butterflies to be pinned out on a board. So you don't do research on trade unions, you do research with trade unions. And Sandra and Donna Buttigieg and I spent uh, many years doing research projects with different unions and learning about what their strategies were around campaigning and the like. And she um, brought that back to the NTEU. And it didn't, she didn't um, try and force a viewpoint, but she would it set out what might be a possible strategy to try um, and explain where, how, how she came up with that, invite others within the union and the executive and the negotiating team to consider what she had discovered um, during her research with various unions. That's incredible. I can certainly agree. Um, Sandra was very one, very much a person who liked to speak to others as equals rather than observe from afar. She was very much a person of the people. And I love that about her. She, um, well, we had a connection with the construction union through our yep. community and unions project. Um, and this was in the days when Martin Kingham was the secretary before we ended up with John Setka. 
who we also did some interviews with on various topics, I might add. Um, but because of that close sort of relationship with the union, when they were building H-Block on Caulfield campus, um, the, the construction union uh, have a very um, uh, long list of conditions that they can and can't work under. So if it drizzled and you were working above a certain height on site, you were unable to continue work. So they downed tools. And in those days, we had a bar at Caulfield campus called the Griff Inn. And we, there were a group of us from the Department of Management, Sandra included, and we were sitting around a largish table and we went to get some more drinks. This was after, after four and on a Friday. So um, the construction workers were supposed to be working through until six. Uh, they were in the griff at four. Anyway, we struck up a bit of a conversation with them um, about enterprise bargaining and they offered to fly the NTU flag on their crane and they asked about the actual negotiations around the table with management and Sandra sort of explained to them um, how this proceeded and they, this, the one, one guy who was covered with CFMEU um, stickers and regalia he um he said oh so what your members don't go to the bargaining table <laughs> we said no no and Sandra said but it's a good idea but I don't know if it would help and the the construction worker said what do you mean and Sandra looked at her friends from the department of management and she looked at the construction workers and she said do you see a significant difference between the workers <laughs> that our unions are representing and the construction worker looked at us and he said I guess you guys wouldn't be very scary would you and Sandra said exactly so that was one idea that was not going to um to win at Monash I don't know our HR counterparts are pretty thin-skinned these days I'm sure they would be intimidated by a group of academic professional and particularly casually staff uh, showing up to bargaining I think um, they would find it very intimidating but yes you're 100% correct I think um, there is a big difference between the membership of the CFMEU and how they present and <laughs> I wouldn't mm -hmm. certainly not want to withhold conditions from their membership <laughs> mm -hmm. um, now Sandra unfortunately passed away in 2018 after a long battle with cancer but we were fortunate as the branch to award her life membership with the NTU and to pass a special motion to create an award in her name, the Sandra Cockfield Activist of the Year Award. The award is given each year to a member of the Monash branch who has volunteered their time to improve the working lives of staff here at Monash branch. And this year we awarded not one but two recipients, Tony Williams and Scott Robinson. Um, Dr. Marjorie, what could you tell us about the lessons that we could learn from Sandra's time and Sandra's life that we as unionists could learn and hopefully uphold? Um, look after everyone. And Sandra would focus on the members, obviously, 
but she was a great believer in unions can have a place in society whereby they can um, better everyone's lives through fighting and achieving improved working conditions and wages for everyone. She was not keen on free riders, as one would expect, but she said that a union can make a significant difference for everyone. And she firmly believed that. And she firmly believed in protecting people who were in casual work, such as our teaching associates and research assistants, and those who are on um, one, two, three-year type contracts. I suspect that she would be quite horrified with the this idea of offering PhD students contra, so, so-called contracts while they are doing their PhD at Monash. And um, it, from my department, we have a PhD student who I was involved with early on in his PhD um, career. And he's just been offered a 0.2 contract to take um, tutorials, etc., which is about $6,000 or something. I don't really know how that's going to um, enable him to live and complete his PhD and complete all the marking, etc. he will have to do, usually around the time when there will be PhD milestones and so on. So I think that idea may have looked great on paper when it was first broached, but it's not um, a particularly good idea. And I think Sandra would have had quite a lot to say and do about that. I 100% agree with you, particularly when um, she came from a time where, you know, the powers that be enabled her to develop as a lecturer and as an academic. And here we're seeing almost a reverse, a way to actually ghettoize the next generation of academics mm-hmm. um, by offering them conditions that keep them in a space that do not develop their skills, mm-hmm. but just further, I guess, trap them in, you know, terrible conditions and potentially unpaid work as well. Sandra? And I, um, when we have teaching associates, we don't. We tell them, do not do unpaid consultation. Yeah. You are not. Pa- you are not paid for consultation. It's not actually factored in to the remuneration levels for teaching associates. So we always end up doing all of that consultation for our subjects because we are full time staff members. And so we believe that that's what we were there for. It wasn't our teaching associates' responsibilities to be doing unpaid work for the university. And that's certainly a message that rings true today with amongst our sessional staff, that all hours worked should be all hours paid. Thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Gerard. I really appreciate it. And um, especially taking the time out to um, celebrate and acknowledge um, Sandra's contribution to our branch. Um, No doubt there are a lot of lessons that we can learn from how she conducted herself and that we can put in practice today as activists and delegates and just Monash branch members. So I really appreciate it. And um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Adam, for asking me to speak about Sandra. Thanks to Adam and Marjorie. 
for that chat and for giving us a bit of insight into who Sandra Cockfield is and, and why we have uh, this award named after her. Um, we just wanted to take this opportunity, given that it's the holiday season and that kind of thing, um, to just sort of give a, a shout out to some people uh, that we are thankful for and people who um, deserve some recognition for the part that they play in, in everything that we do. So I will handball over to Kate for the first of those. Yeah, so first of all, thanks to all of our listeners. Uh, we do this as a way to kind of keep everyone informed about negotiations and what's happening with the union. And it's very shocking and surprising to us that, you know, some listeners keep coming back and keep listening. So thank you all for keeping this going. Yes, it's a it's a continual source of amazement for me that that the numbers of listeners keep growing and that occasionally people will um, engage us in public and be like, oh, we listen to the podcast. Um, it's always lovely to hear. Um, also, I'd like to thank all of the members that showed up to any of our meetings throughout the year um, and also for the, all the people that took part in different industrial actions through the year. Um, the union doesn't function without you. Um, and so particularly during that long strike, seeing all of the people, all of the new faces and the old faces getting involved um, with things like the teach out, with things like the banner painting, with things like the people showing up to rallies and, and all of that kind of thing. Um, all of all of our successes come down to, to you all showing up for those things and being willing to take part in those things and being willing to sort of step up and maybe step outside your comfort zone a little bit to do some of those things. So thank you all for that. And also a big thanks to the branch committee and the industrial action committee and everyone on them for all their planning, time and effort throughout the year. Again, none of this would get done without them. And if you're interested in getting more involved as well, particularly on the industrial action committee, uh, just shoot us an email and we'll get you in touch with the right people. Um, also, thank you to Ben and to Scott and to Michelle and to Alice and to Bill the IO for all of their work on the bargaining team. I, I there is truly an enormous amount of work that goes into making bargaining work from our side and, and having it function. Um, and almost all of that work is completely invisible and thankless. Um, so thank you for that, particularly like when there's been times which has been almost all of this year where the university's representatives have, have been stonewalling or foot dragging or, or just generally dithering about while we were trying to get stuff done. Your perseverance through all of that um, is is really amazing. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And your the time release just does not re reflect even a fraction of the work that um, our bargaining committee does. So absolutely yeah, not. thank you all. <laughs> thank you all for that. Um, and to the people who put in submissions in the casual consultations wage theft case, we'll be hearing more about that in the new year and we'll keep you updated on that. But without all of you speaking up, for uh, what you're owed, the case wouldn't have got anywhere near as far as it was. You know, we we heard from the um, from Siobhan that, you know, however many hundreds of people put in submissions uh, on the union side and no one put in submissions on the university side and that was a big part of the case. So, yeah, thank you all for doing that. It's greatly appreciated and it's, you know, helped all of your colleagues as well. And particularly thank you for the people that um, did put in those submissions being casuals. Like I know it's as a casual myself, like it's very easy to feel like you're sort of putting a target on your own back by doing that kind of thing. And there is this sort of 
institutionalized disincentive to speaking up and and to um, trying to fight for what you are owed because you feel like it is you're, you're so sort of vulnerable in, and precarious in in that position that you're in. So for yeah, literally the hundreds of you that that put those in, really massive pat on the back and thank you for that. And you know, all the more reason to hope for a good outcome in that case which we have every reason to to expect and to to be to hope for thank you also to adam for the constant supply of sassy stats in the intros in the episodes this year um and also to to my podcast co-host kate uh for taking on this work amidst all the other work that she has going on um i know that juggling all of what you do isn't easy but uh without you and without you being a part of this um it, it, it wouldn't work no one wants to listen to just me thanks so much tony and i mean right back at you like this podcast wouldn't wouldn't happen without tony you know i'm i'm in the last little stretch of my phd and also doing some other work as well and there are times where you know i show up to the podcast and go oh tony what are we talking about today and he's got it all under control and he does the editing and he does all that kind of stuff so you, you know you literally wouldn't be hearing us if it wasn't for tony so thanks very much tony um, and finally, and an enormous thank you as well to our pod daddy, Sophie O, for all her work on making this podcast listenable, and to both her and Trevor for all of their work as branch organisers. Without you, none, none of this stuff happens, and I hope that the powers that be recognise that and in the new year you get the gift of fair working conditions enshrined in your new EBA as well. So that's it from us. I hope everybody has some time off to enjoy the holiday break. And uh, as always, if you have any questions, just send us an email at myunionwroteaneba at gmail.com and you'll hear from us in the new year. Thanks, everyone. Bye. All right, folks, that's it for this episode. Thanks to Kate, Danny, Adam, Bernard and Pod Daddy Sophio for all the work they've put into this. And we'll catch you next time. Oh,